Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on the podcast. This week, we have an interview. We have an Editors Unedited, which we love to do. And, of course, we love having our um, editors back on. And this week, Rachel Kahn is back. She's an executive editor at William Morrow. Hi, Rachel. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm in an old dairy barn in New England right now, quarantining with my family. Oh, that sounds pretty nice, actually, minus the having to be quarantined. It is, actually. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to throw it over to you for a really great episode. Thank you. So I'm really happy to have this opportunity to sit down and talk with Leon Dolan, who has written one of my favorite novels uh, of the year. And I do say that about a lot of books that I edit, but the Sweeney Sisters has a special place in my heart. It's an absolutely wonderful celebration of family, of sisterhood, of a little bit of the writing life of Southport, Connecticut. And the thing that I love about this as an editor who believes in championing the voices of women is that this is a novel that is just full of amazing women characters. So if you can imagine it as a movie, it would be this luscious ensemble cast of women in their 30s and 40s and a few amazing roles uh, for women in their 60s and 70s. And so what drew me immediately to this book was the voices of all these women, most of whom are sisters. And you just kind of sink right into their world and want to be part of this family. So I'm really happy to have Leon Dolan here. I'm happy to be here with an intro like that. <laughs> Thank you. So sometimes I still can't believe the book is out. So it's really fun to hear you speak about it like that, Rachel. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. This is, I am such a big fan of this book. And just to introduce you to your audience, I think it's really important that they know that you come from a big Irish Catholic family, like the one featured in this book, and you have a lot of sisters. So tell me about that. Right. I grew up in Southport, Connecticut, where the book is set. I have four sisters and three brothers. So I'm the youngest of eight kids. I'm eight of eight, as they say, in big families. And um, I have happened to have worked with my four sisters for 20 years. I've been doing a podcast. First, it was a radio show, then a podcast called Satellite Sisters for 20 years. And um, over the course of that 20 years, I've really looked at sisterhood a lot. I've thought about it. We've talked about it on the show. We've had experts on on 
birth order and sibling rivalries and how to get along with your family over the holidays. You know, I pick up extra articles about it and kind of study, I'm study sisterhood. So I feel like I'm sort of a professional sister, but this is really the first book where I kind of dove into that relationship. So, um, and, and so I enjoyed it. I felt like I owed sisterhood something. I felt like I had something to say about sisterhood. And you, I'm going to just introduce the the plot of the book a little bit. And there's a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler because you would read it on the flap copy if you pick the book up. This is the story of um, three sisters who are very different. Uh, they are the children of a famous writer named Bill Sweeney, who's sort of like a Philip Roth, Norman Mailer, larger than life, uh, kind of a literary bad boy who just remains a bad boy all the way up through his death, which is the start of the book. And these three sisters come to realize after their father dies that thanks to someone just taking one of those home DNA tests, like the ones that you get from 23andMe, she discovers that she is also a Sweeney sister. And she, as it turns out, was their next door neighbor growing up. Um, but the girls didn't know that she was also their father's daughter and neither did she. And that sort of kicks off the book. And it really leads us into all of these examinations of what it means to be family. What happens when you suddenly find out that you have more family than maybe you bargained for? Yeah. When I thought about the Sweeney sisters, you know, I wanted to write about sisterhood and it was important to me to kind of get it right because I feel like there are a lot of books, also TV shows out there. Um, I can tell you almost every interview question we've gotten over 20 years on Satellite Sisters. The second question is, so do you guys fight on the air all the time? Is that what you do? Do you fight on the air? <laughs> like, no, we're Irish. We don't, we don't actually fight with each other. We go talk about the other sister behind your back. So I just wanted to get kind of sisterhood right, this idea that you could have the same parents and different lives, that you don't always have to be best friends friends. You can also be worst enemies at the same time with your sister. But I needed some like kickoff event. Like, how do I get into it? And there was a Facebook post that I remembered from um, our Satellite Sisters Facebook group page where someone had posted a photo, three grownups in their 50s. And the caption was, well, we met our new brother today. I'm not going to go into the details, but here he is. And now we're a new family. And, you know, everyone was like, thumbs up, that's great. And I'm thinking, is it? Is it really thumbs up? Like, what would that actually be like? And I thought specifically about our family. Like, over the years, we have developed roles. Like, we we know who the funny one is and who's the successful one and the smart one. And, you know, who brings the mashed potatoes to Thanksgiving and who's in charge of mom and dad? Like, those have been carefully constructed and crafted over the years. So the thought of just bringing another person in and slipping them into the family, I just thought that was a pretty enticing uh, conversation to have in a book. Like it was a really good in and it could go a lot of ways. You know, people could be open hearted. People could be suspicious. People could be bitter. And, you know, I think it goes both ways for both people. The, the new sibling, like, that's a big deal. They might not be so thrilled. And, you know, the in this case, the Sweeney sisters themselves thinking about their identity inside the family. It's true. I 
have read a lot of things, um, especially online, a lot of different stories. And I, I know more than one person who has taken one of these home DNA tests and shall we say, come up with results that were unexpected. And uh, so to that end, I felt like the book was a little bit of a cautionary tale of, okay, this is what might happen. There hasn't, to my knowledge, been a novel that sort of had as its kickoff point this phenomenon that is has become very common in our society, that people want to learn more about themselves and about their families. And so they take these tests and often they come up with information that, that they're really not prepared to handle. So that was one of the things that I loved about it. And I felt that unlike some of the memoir treatments that I've read where people write about their own personal experiences coming up with unexpected information, it's a very... It's a very light-handed kind of celebratory uh, angle to it because, again, slight spoiler alert, the sisters do manage to to kind of craft a new normal for their family. And it was something that I was very curious to see as I was reading the book for the first time, how it was all going to turn out because it could go very wrong depending on any of the different personalities and any of the different circumstances that happen. So I thought that uh, the reader, as they're going through this, part of the fun is just watching the twists and turns as each person reckons with this little bit of information and what it says about what her role was in the family, that like maybe she was always the smart one or she was always the bohemian one and she was her father's favorite, but now what does that really mean? I think one of the keys for me in sort of determining like how how this 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 new group of four sisters would carry on was the idea, Rachel, that the parents were gone. You know, because mm-hmm. there are um, so many books where there's a great ma- a matriarch or a patriarch, and they sort of set the tone, and everyone like falls in line based on you know what they do and what they say. And one of the things I learned with my siblings, um, when my parents died uh, seven years ago, I lost my mom and my dad in a really short period of time over, they died within two and a half months of each other. And they had had lovely full lives. They were 85. There was nothing tragic about it, Um, but it's still sad, but still it really kind of shakes up the dynamics of adult siblings. You know, now what happens? Like if we're not rallying around mom and dad's care, worrying about them or going home for their birthday or, you know, to celebrate 4th of July with them, what what will we be doing? And I think in the case of this book with the Sweeney's, that the generation of sisters was much more open to this new idea of family than their parents were. And I I don't want to give too much away, but that's also written into the book. Like there's a lot of denial and head in the sand and secrets. And I just think, uh, you know, women, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, like they have an openness to an extended idea of family that maybe previous generations didn't have. So I felt like I used that. It was important to me that these were adult siblings navigating their own way in the world without parents determining their responses. 
That's true, and that was early on when I mentioned the the movie having these great roles for older women, grandmother age women. There are some really wonderful scenes with some of the older women who who have a stake in this family and in the fact that that there have been secrets that have been kept for a long time. So I really uh, I, I get that. I thought that was that was particularly kind of meaningful that you see the generational shift too. I mean, what's been, tell me a little bit about the response that you've gotten to this book. Obviously your sisters knew you were writing this and maybe read it early on, but other people in your family, other listeners, I mean, you have an audience that's very invested in your being a sister. You're being part of this sisterhood because they listen to your show. How have people responded? Well, fortunately, great, you know, <laughs> because, uh, you know, when there are expectations, when you've been talking and working with your sisters for years, expectations are high when you turn out a book called The Sweeney Sisters. But it's funny because the really the last, not the last people to read the book before it was published, but almost the last were my sisters. I, I don't share a lot of early writing with them. I never have. Um, they're not writers. So their commentary is not that helpful. You know, they they don't work on fiction. They wouldn't know like, oh, there's a structural issue in the first couple of chapters or boy, this needs to get moved around or, you know, nowhere near the level of notes that you gave when I handed in the the manuscript. So um, so they read it after it was an arc and they were, you know, my sister Julie was very sweet. She just said, it's all in here. It's all in here because even though the sisters in the book are not my sisters, there is a lot of what we experienced as kids in the book. This sense, this kind of swagger and this sense that we're all in this together and we just pull together even if we're making each other crazy. Like that was very typical of our family. So, um, and still is, and still is. So I was pleased that my sisters uh, loved it. Have not heard from the brothers yet, but I know they're big supporters. So (laughs) I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll weigh in. They always buy a lot of copies. And really, that's that's what I expect from my brothers. And they're good about that. Um, but listeners, you do get nervous because you feel like their expectations are high. Because one of the differences I've learned is that a lot of writers write about their sisters. A million books out there about sisters. But if you're a writer writing about your sisters, normally no one would know your sisters. My sisters are on the air with me. And they're very familiar to people. So people know exactly who they are and their characteristics and like they've gotten to know us. So I was worried they would be disappointed that I didn't try to recreate my actual sisters in the book. But no, they seem to really like Liza. They like Maggie. They like Trisha. It's been really, really fun on our Facebook page to see people just so excited, posting pictures of here I am on the back porch reading the book. Here I am. Oh, it's arrived at my bookstore. Oh, here I am. The Amazon guys come with the book. It's been really really fun. And I think they enjoyed it. I mean, you, you know, I mean, for me, the best review is I didn't want it to end. That's a great review. And when is the sequel coming, which had never even occurred to me. (laughs) So so I feel like I've delivered on the sister front without actually writing my sisters into the book. When you, uh, let's talk a little bit about the whole process of writing the book, because I know that one of the things that people like about this podcast is that it kind of pulls the curtain back a little bit on the way that writers and editors work as we as we go through the process of 
kind of making a book its best self to get it ready to publish. Did you, as you were writing this and doing revisions, were there things that you learned about sisterhood and yourself that you had to examine? Or did you feel like you kind of came to it with everything that you needed and just this concept of, of a great what if? You know, I felt like I came to it with what I needed. Again, I just a lot of work in the nonfiction space, essays and the podcast about sisterhood. So that was that was the part of the book I felt like, oh, I got this. And, you know, even to the point where um, at one point we as the Satellite Sisters wrote a monthly column in O Magazine uh, for about four years. It was kind of an etiquette column. Uh, but I just write the whole column. It was supposed to be in all five sisters' voices, but I just wrote it all. <laughs> they give me, I'd ask them a question, they'd give me a few notes, and then I would write in all five of my sisters' voices, which we speak very differently. And so I felt like I had that piece down. But um, but you were a new editor for me, and that was exciting and also really intimidating <laughs> at the same time. I had come from another publisher, and I was sort of used to having a lot of interaction during the writing process. And so when you said, oh, no, just hand me the finished manuscript, I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm on my own. Okay, I can do this. And it was a fast turnaround for me, which actually turned out to be a really good exercise, just a writing exercise. Like, we, you know, you bought the book, we just went for it. And I, I really enjoyed that piece of it. But it meant when I handed you that first draft, uh, you know, that I, I, there were a lot of question marks for me, like, oh, would you like it? But I felt like I, I felt like I had delivered on my end. But then the notes you sent back were 100% expected. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, she's totally right. Uh-huh. Yep. I should have just spent more time on that character. Sure. Oh, that makes, yep. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, I should say that this is, um, this book was a little bit unusual for me in that I, I had read your fiction before, so I knew that you could write. And I bought the book based on, I think maybe two or three pages that you wrote for me where I said like, okay, what's your biggest, best idea that you have just kind of had kicking around for a while? And I got from your agent, these three pages with this awesome idea. And I just said, oh my gosh, this sounds so great. And I think we may have had a phone conversation and sort of talked it through. And then I, I sent you off to write it. There was no like safety net part of it, but I knew that you were a good writer. I wasn't worried that you could turn out a good novel because I, you had already done that before, but it was kind of this magic, this magical moment for an editor when you get a really great concept and a writer who you know has the chops. And in your case, this awesome background that, that mm. we could um, talk about and that I knew gave you all of the insight that would make this a good book. And so I just sent you off to write it. And when it came in, I had the experience, and this doesn't always happen, but I just had the experience of sitting down to read it and reading it and thinking like, oh, wow, I actually don't want this reading experience to end. A lot of the time, professionally, you're trying to kind of read through something critically because you have a set number of hours in your workday. And I had the opposite experience of instead of trying to get through it in a very regimented kind of way, I like just wanted to sink into the book the way 
I hoped that readers would. And I just thought like, oh, this is such a great, this is such a great read and I'm ready to just keep reading this. And I almost had to force myself to apply the critical eye to it because I was so enjoying it. So that to that end, it was just, it was a great experience for me as an editor because you know that you're really, you know, you've got something good when you experience the manuscript more as a first time reader would than as an editor who is actually being paid to look at this book with a critical eye. So yeah, there were, there were things that you, that you did and changes that, that you made that I think enhanced the book, but right from the beginning, it was always just this great read about women and family and their relationships. And it made me laugh and it was really witty. And there are some great one-liners in there. And I think the one thing that I remember asking you to do was to have more scenes with the older women and those so deliver because I just felt like we hear about like what the older generation, but we want to know what they make of this whole situation. Yeah, that was a great note. I mean, it was a note I appreciated because um, I, you know, I feel like very, I, I feel like society sort of forgets that women in their 60s and 70s had lives before they were mothers. You know, it's very easy just to kind of write these one note, a mother-in-law or, you know, the kind of the town gossip. Um, but I wanted to really imbue the women of that generation with this sense of history. Like they had had lives uh, and they were kind of fun lives and exciting lives and sexy lives in the late 60s and early 70s before they might have settled down and married, you know, respectably. And so I, I just went back before this podcast to the original editor's note you sent me, which is a really lovely note. Uh, but you do you absolutely mention that, like dig deeper into some of these older women. Let's see more of them. And that was really freeing. I remember in particular the mother-in-law character. I was like, okay, let's see, like, let's just take a mother-in-law pass and see how many more scenes I can put her in because I grew to like her more and more uh, the further she was fleshed out. So it yeah. was a super, it was a great note. And that is, I have been asked about the older women characters in the book quite a bit by, uh, you know, in by other people and by readers. And that's great. Like, though the book is called The Sweeney Sisters, there, there's a lot of other people in the book that contribute to it. And I, I, Thank you for that, because that was a great note, and you sent me on my way to do that, and I did it. And those those older women really turn out to be good scenery chewers, which I just which I loved, and I'm I'm really hoping that this book will become a movie or a six part TV series because it is just so suited to that. And there are so many just great scenes with snappy dialogue, and I love reading that. Yeah, paging Blythe Danner. I mean, sign up, get her on, get her on board. One of the other things that I loved about this. Book was the sense of place in it. I live in New York City now, and I have never spent a lot of time in Southport, which actually is not all that far away from New York City, but you present it as being 
this wonderful world that is that is very much a character in the book. And I wonder if you can talk about that because that's your hometown and it really influences the novel. I, you know, I, I love growing up in Southport. It is, it's only a 45 minute train ride outside of the city. But when you arrive at like the picture perfect train station, walk down the picture perfect streets, you feel like you're in a colonial village. I mean, it's a, it was an important harbor during, uh, during the colonial days. And then the British uh, burnt everything down during the Revolutionary War. And then so it sort of emerged in the early 1800s with a lot of money, you know, from sea captains and people who grew Southport onions. They were very famous. And at one point it was like a really big port between New York and Boston. And believe me, Rachel, people have never forgotten that in Southport. You know, there is just a really an old guard there. And when you say Daughters of the American Revolution, like they mean it. They're card carrying members there. And I just thought it was, you know, this is a book sort of about secrets that are kept and, you know, discretion and moving on with your life and not making a big deal about things that other people would be hysterical about. And I thought Southport was a good setting for that because, you know, what I what I discovered, like growing up, I loved it. Oh, there was a sense of freedom. It was beautiful. These beautiful houses. Uh, but over the years, my my hometown friends have told me things that were going on in their house or the neighbor's house or somebody's dad was having an affair with somebody's mom or there were secret families in the whole other towns or the secret apartment in New York and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Those people, like, I had no idea. All these preppy people were leading all these kind of bad lives behind their, you know, picture-perfect brass knockers. And so I thought, this is a good setting for that, because the idea of discretion, I think, is really key to the whole book. And, like, Southport is nothing if not discreet. But I love that it's become a character in the book and that people are responding to it. Either you know it and you're like, yes, you nailed it. I actually had a couple of friends who lived in Southport now read the book. So for, you know, to make sure I got it right, that it wasn't anachronistic, that I had captured the Southport of today. But then I like hearing from other people who have read the book saying, well, I've never been to Southport, but I'd like to go now. Or boy, this is like the preppy handbook come to life, which Great. I'll take it. I mean, I like books with a sense of place, too. So I find it satisfying that I that I nailed it. So if you have enjoyed this podcast and you haven't read The Sweeney Sisters by Leanne Dolan, you can get a copy anywhere that books are being sold right now. And Leanne, tell me where we can listen to your Satellite Sisters show and, and where you are in the podcasting world. Sure. You can find us really on any podcast platform. You can go to SatelliteSisters.com for more information, but Apple, Spotify, you know, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can listen to our podcast. Leon and her sisters will be there. Yes, exactly. Great. And I have to say, we, Leon, we had you on our Instagram takeover a few weeks ago, and it was so great. Um, if you want to go check out that takeover, please go to the Library Love Fest uh, Instagram account, which is Harper Library, and you can see your writing space, which was really cool. <laughs> I cleaned it up. I, I cleaned it up for the, the tour. Lane. <laughs> <laughs> no one would have known. Beautiful flowers everywhere. Um, okay, well, thank you so much to both of you for being on such a great episode and a view into the Sweeney Sisters. So we'll see thank everybody you. next week. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thank you, Lainey. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. 
For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.